In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Lights be to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. This is the story we need. It's a right as we kept out of sight for no more. So I'll read a book, or maybe two or three. It's such fun to hum a happy working song. Ooh, a happy working song. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's... It's not just in me, it is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney, your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. We are continuing the Epcot Essentials series by bringing back Aaron Wallace, and on today's episode, we are going to talk about books, whether they be ones strictly centered on the history of the park or the community concept or other titles that really address Epcot in a substantial way, even if the entire book isn't on that topic. So let's bring Aaron back on to Notably Disney to talk about Epcot Essentials books. Okay, we are back with author and podcaster Aaron Wallace, and we are going to be talking about Epcot Essentials books, because there's a lot of great literature out there on Epcot, whether it's academic or produced by Disney, by fans, or other sources. If you want to learn about Epcot, there's no shortage of great materials out there. Aaron, welcome back to Notably Disney. Thanks for having me back. Well, wanted to talk with you as an author of a book about Epcot, The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot, and someone who really knows a lot about the park to join me in this dialogue about really recommendations for listeners who want to learn more about Epcot because there's great rich history and it's been documented in so many different forms now over the past four decades. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. On the one hand, uh, for Epcot to have the enormous fan base that it does and, and the rich history that it has, uh, you would almost expect there to be a plethora of books on the subject, uh, whether by Disney or otherwise. Uh, but there aren't maybe as many as one would expect there to be. But as you say, there are these they're like there's like a collection of quintessential reads that are either about Epcot or touch on it in some meaningful way. And so uh, I do think it's useful uh, for anyone who might be wanting to dive into those waters for the first time uh, to lay out what some of those essential titles are and sort of the perspectives that they offer. Yeah, well, I think maybe a really opportune way of beginning this dialogue is going back to the beginning and really what was the first book published about Epcot, the park, and 
covering a little bit of the, the concept in the city community front, which is Walt Disney's Epcot by uh, Richard Beard, which debuted in 1982. There were a few different iterations, depending on if it was pre or post park opening. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a tome and it's and it's an essential in terms of learning about what the Imagineers had envisioned for the park, but also f- featuring some really cool concept art. Are, are you familiar with this title? Oh, yes. This to me is like the Epcot Bible. Uh, it is such a wonderful find. I mean, obviously long out of print. Uh, sadly, the days of theme parks issuing hefty books about themselves uh, have passed. Uh, but uh, if you, it's readily available on eBay and usually pretty inexpensively. Uh, so I definitely recommend anyone who has an interest in early Epcot. This is a book you absolutely want to get and devour. Uh as you said, Brett, it has it has the heft and the size of, and the dimensions of like a coffee table book, and you do get a lot of the great artwork, both concept art and photography that one would expect from a coffee table book. But there's also a tremendous amount of text, uh, probably I would say like a, uh, more of a, a textbook than it is uh, a, a graphics book. But um, yeah, I would say the the biggest value here is getting a sense, as you said, of what the Imagineers intended these attractions to be. Uh, the earliest edition was, again, written before the park actually opened, and so some of this didn't even come to fruition. Um, but you really get to step into that early Epcot Center mindset. Um, but beyond the information that it provides and the imagery, it's also beautifully written. Uh, and that's a testament to to Richard Beard. Um, if I didn't know any better, I would have guessed that Marty Sklar wrote it because he had a really wonderful way of writing about narrative experiences beautifully and in a very sort of classically Disney fashion. Um, and this strikes me as very Sklar-esque prose, um, but just really beautiful writing that's easy to settle into for an afternoon. Well, and... What's nice, too, is that each section of the book is organized based on the pavilion. So you could easily you know, take this out of your bookshelf for 15 minutes, consume a chapter about uh, Horizons, for instance, and feel very satisfied because there's a good amount of content and it's, and it's fun and interesting to read. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, I, I did read it cover to cover and um i remember it not even taking that much time and i like i felt truly like joyful <laughs> reading it as a fan of the park and so i think of any book that exists on epcot um it's the one i would say go to first which is sort of surprising right to endorse uh what is essentially i guess it was intended as like a souvenir book um which one would not usually expect to be especially deep or profound. Um, but there is just a whole lot of content here that's worthwhile. And as a souvenir book, too, as you mentioned, you typically wouldn't expect there to be concept art of the Living Seas, a pavilion that wouldn't open for another three plus years. Like how often would you find that in a in a typical Disney produced book these days, right? Because things change so much. But back then it's like, you know, well, why not? Why not expose the public to some ideas that we have crafting or that we're crafting? Yeah, 100 percent. And there's also some, some really frank discussion about 
the the challenges of Epcot Center, particularly in World Showcase, issues of representation. Uh, how is this you know Western company going to represent other cultures? Uh, and I almost feel like if if Walt Disney World were to put out a book about Epcot today, they'd just kind of shy away from that whole discussion. Uh, but uh, this book engages with it in a way that's very frank, candid, also in a way that is honestly quite 1980s, and, and maybe they wouldn't state things always the way that they state them today, but uh, or they wouldn't always state them today the way that they state them in the book. But um, that in itself, I think, uh, just offers a, a different perspective. It's a time capsule, it's a treasure, and it's, thankfully, as you mentioned, relatively inexpensive. There are different versions of it available on eBay, or I think I've even seen on Amazon under the used books. And, you know, you could pick up a copy for 20 maybe $30 and, and have a really decent copy. Yeah. What's another book you think of when you want to really read about the essence of Epcot over these past several decades? Gosh, well, I guess the other go-to Bible, though it's a, it's much smaller than the Bible, uh, is the Imagineering Field Guide to Epcot. Uh, and there have been a couple of different editions of this uh, put out over the years, too. But it's an official Disney book. Uh, I mean, it's credited as being written by the Imagineers. Uh, but uh, there is a do – you, do you have the name offhand of the guy who actually wrote it? Uh, written and designed by Alex Wright. There you go. Yeah, Alex Wright. Uh, and these books exist for uh, each of the U.S. Uh, theme parks. But uh, it's just like a little a little handbook, really. Uh, but there's, again, a surprising amount of rich content, a surprising amount of detail here. And what I appreciate, um, of course, it goes uh, land by land, um, theme by theme. Uh, but what I appreciate is that, you know, an Imagineering field guide, you might expect to focus principally on architecture, engineering, uh, those sorts of things. And there is that certainly in the book, but there's also quite a bit of attention to storytelling, narrative device, uh, even things like landscaping and color design. And so it's a very well-rounded uh, approach to, uh, to Imagineering. I couldn't agree with you more. When this was first released back in 2006, I was thinking to myself, I love Epcot. I need to have a, a really handy guide or resource. And yes, there's some rich content on the internet and podcasts, but but something that would distill a lot of the best elements of Epcot, but also a piece of material where I would learn something new. And I feel like this book encapsulates all of that and more with a lot of the examples you mentioned i i love the with each segment there's like uh it's called quick uh it's called quick takes and it's like just little bullet point fun facts about a particular attraction or pavilion or area of the park yeah i mean to, to be to have the small footprint that this book has uh it really makes great use of space. Uh, it's a very economical presentation of information and a lot of information at that. And so again, I think really an indispensable quintessential part of any Epcot fans book collection. Indeed. And I would hope too, with, with all the changes coming to the park over the next few years, maybe with the 40th, they'll produce a third edition. That would be really neat. Yeah, I hope so. We're probably about due for updates to all of those Imagineering uh, field guides. And yeah, I hope we get them. And I'd love to see them for the overseas parks, too. Well, another book that I've really come to appreciate 
and this is some promotion on your part because I found it to be an incredibly accessible, academic, and thoughtfully written book, which is your very own Thinking Fans Guide to Walt Disney World Epcot, where you explore each area of the park with a lot of uh, introspection and recognition of how the attractions fit into the larger sociocultural history of the world that we inhabit. So I have to ask you, Aaron, what was your inspiration in developing a really rich piece of writing that now a lot of people own? Gosh, well, first, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. Uh, I, uh, yeah, this was the second book I'd written about Disney theme parks. The first book uh, was The Thinking Fan's Guide to Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. And so just as kind of a starting point, that book uh, endeavored to be an in-depth look at every ride and show in Magic Kingdom. Uh, its history, going back to 1971, sometimes even back to 1955, the opening of Disneyland and beyond. Uh, and then looking at the rides and shows really as narrative works of art. So talking about attractions the same way that we might talk about a movie, uh, a play, a great work of literature, uh, again, as these works of art and asking what's the story they're telling, how are they telling that story, and what is it about that storytelling ultimately that's resonating with us or maybe sometimes not resonating with us, and, and fundamentally, why do we love them? Why are we fans? What draws us to them? And so that was kind of the idea with that book. And in Magic Kingdom, it was drawing on my own academic background, which is in studying, uh, you know, film, entertainment, movies, music, this sort of thing, as well as literature, narrative device. The challenge in moving into a book about Epcot as the follow-up uh, was that uh, just, it's it, in terms of the the subject matter, it's fundamentally different, uh, and it's a fundamentally a different type of park. Uh, these, for the most part, at least in the early days of Epcot, are not do not draw their inspiration from uh, works of literature. Uh, these aren't adaptations of fairy tales. They aren't adaptations of animated films. Uh, and and you know, Epcot grapples with bigger, deeper issues. And so, you know, what I said talking to my publisher walking into the book was. Epcot is the thinking fans park in a sense. And so I really want like this book to rise to that occasion. And, and I wasn't honestly sure like how to even approach it. Um, but I think what's unique about Epcot, uh, in addition to how much history it has, despite its relative youth as a theme park, which is something we talked about during our discussion of the songs in the park, um, it, but it's also a park that is uh, that has a, a large debate hovering over it about what its true purpose is, what its purpose should be going forward. Uh, and then there are a lot of sort of miniature debates percolating uh, under, beneath that grand debate. Things like, do characters belong in World Showcase attractions? Should celebrities uh, appear in an attraction that has um, the goal of educating or inspiring us uh, about you know culture and this sort of thing? Or, or is it cheapening uh, that goal to have like a a here and now celebrity there. And so I wanted to use the attractions as texts, as tools for answering those bigger questions while also diving into the history and the narrative devices at play. Uh, and so anyway, that's kind of that, that was ultimately the impetus for writing this book. Well, and as a reader, what I valued was the extensive set of notes at the end that connect back to some different pieces you mentioned in the book. So I feel like it also serves as a springboard for readers to discover more new things. Because, of course, as you're reading about 
the whether it's the history of each attraction or even the debate over who was the original narrator of Spaceship Earth, here you have an extensive set of notes for folks to really dive deeper, maybe check out some other books or uh, explore other resources on Epcot. So I think that is particularly helpful for those who really value the richness of what the park represents. Well, good. I'm glad. Uh, you know, when I went to write the first book and submitted it to the publisher, like I, I had read a lot about, you know, like how to get a book published. And one of the big pieces of advice is no footnotes in nonfiction. <laughs> um, there are a lot of some of the like big holy grail books that are out there that the publishing industry considers like the standard for, you know, as a guide that you should use for getting published. Um, they all consistently advise against footnotes and nonfiction. And so I had written a lot of footnotes for my first book, but did not include them in the pitch to the, uh, to the publisher. And one of their early notes was, what do you think about including notes in the back of the book? And I said, thank you. You know, I'm so glad. So, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's been a really fun part of putting this together. And what's cool is, you know, Disney puts out a lot of literature about the theme parks, but they don't always go into great depth. And so I think like as fans writing for each other, um, and this is true in podcasts as well, like we have this opportunity to, to go much deeper and preserve that history for each other. And, and also being able to bring in so many different fields of study, whether it be religion or art or pop culture, like all of that is encapsulated not only throughout the main text of the book, but also the footnotes. Like if anybody wants to know what Rick Moranis's career has been with Disney, you'll find it in the in the in the notes section. <laughs> Which has been really a rich career. Rick Moranis, I mean he's of course he's quasi retired now, but uh, yeah, he did a lot with Disney. Love Rick Moranis. Well and 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 this book is I feel a, a really essential piece in a lot of people's Disney book collections because it provides those interesting views of Epcot that we get in official materials, but from, as you put it, the thinking fan's perspective. And the the writing is clever, but it's not cloying, and there's a lot of poignance. So uh, I've enjoyed it, so I, I appreciate you being part of this conversation because I think you add a, a really valuable voice to the conversation on the history of Epcot. Thank you. I appreciate that. Other books that you refer referred to Aaron and even developing your own book because I, I would imagine in, in crafting such a text that you glean some inspiration from other Disney produced or even non-Disney produced books on Epcot or, or Walt Disney World. What are what are some standards in your office? Gosh, well, I'll tell you, there is one book and I don't think you and I have even mentioned this one to each other yet, Brett, but there's a book called Vinyl Leaves. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's yes, by, by yeah, Fee Altman, okay. right? Yes, yeah. And uh, there have been a couple different editions of this put out over the years, too. I think the most recent one is is still quite old now, probably going back to, I don't know, the mid-90s or something. But um, anyway, I mean, this is really, it's an, it's an academic book, uh, but was released, uh, I think, as a mass market uh, book. Um, but it's very academic in nature, but just really fascinating discussion. And I don't know that I've ever sat down to read it cover to cover, but I have used it as a resource so many times over the years. I mean, speaking of Bibles, like if my copy is marked up and page flapped and dog-eared like a Bible would be uh, from having used it so much over the years, I feel like I've, I've traversed it a number of times. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a scholarly, highly critical,
critical uh, walk through the Walt Disney World experience as it existed in the late 80s, early 90s, with a particular focus on Magic Kingdom uh, and early Epcot. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that scholars tend to be quite cynical in their view of the Walt Disney Company. Um, that is probably true of this book, too, but I think it is less cynical, um, more objective, more open-minded toward the Disney experience than most other um, scholarly works about the parks would be. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah, I, I refer to that a lot when I was writing my undergrad thesis on Epcot, and I felt like it it was helpful because it it was able to relay certain insights about especially like the first decade of Epcot but it it wasn't I don't feel like it was necessarily mean-spirited or harsh like as you're right. mentioning a lot of the other academic texts are but it's it's very sophisticated and I I like that too it wasn't it, it didn't feel necessarily just phony or or like, oh, I'm a, I'm an academic snob. Like it was smart and sophisticated, but also uh, easy to read. Yeah, definitely easy to read. And and what's neat is even when um, he's maybe taking to Disney Disney to task, uh, he is certainly impressed by Disney, and like that comes through. And uh, so you get you get the sense that, and I don't know if this is true, but you get the sense that like he went to the park one day and thought like, wow, this is something and I've got to spend the next couple of years studying it and writing about it. And so I love that there's that sense that like the spark of this came from something positive. And certainly I do not always agree with his conclusions. And there are times where I think, you know, the analysis is maybe missing some critical considerations that might have veered him toward a different conclusion. But the thing that I love about it is that, um, it's such a great springboard for discussion. I mean, even if I disagree with the course of a particular point of inquiry uh, in in this work, um, that disagreement, like there's there's so much um, that you know, there's so much new conversation that can be had uh, as inspired by you know what he's written in his books. So it's a it's a good one, and another one that comes to mind as a real staple is Walt and the Promise of Progress City by Sam Genoway. This is a 350-plus page book that talks about the really the development of Walt Disney World and ultimately Epcot, Epcot as a community and what that would have resembled. And I'm as much as I love Epcot the park, the the notion of this monumental experimental prototype community of tomorrow is just bewildering and totally mesmerizing and i feel like this book is a good window into what that would have actually been like yeah and what's really cool about this book is the perspective that sam brings um because he comes his background is in uh city planning urban design engineering um those sorts of disciplines and so he is able to look at this idea of progress city through that lens uh so it's a very unique perspective on a very niche subject um the likes of which you're not going to find probably in any other book anytime soon. Uh, and so I always appreciate that when an author is able to bring a highly uh, unique but highly relevant perspective to the table. So one thing I really love about Sam's book is that he explores the different components of the Epcot community. And it's a fun experience to be able to envision what that 
community would have been like. So I, in that sense, I feel like the book is a really essential resource for understanding the conceptual view of Epcot as that amazing community. Yeah, I would agree. And you, we touched on this during our discussion of the music, but anytime you're going to talk about Epcot, uh, you, you've got to define, well, which Epcot are we talking about? And there's the Epcot we know today, there's the Epcot as it opened in 1982, and then there's the Epcot as Walt Disney envisioned it. And there's maybe not as much literature devoted uh, specifically to uh, to Walt's uh, concept for Epcot. So um, it is nice to have this as a book that really contemplates that. Perhaps a really good segue is another book in that vein. It focuses a bit more on the creation of Walt Disney World, but it is called Project Future by Chad Denver Emerson. And while this one is really centered on how the Florida Project came to be, of course, there is a rich discussion of Epcot. And I feel like it also touches on some of the legal issues and uh, just very monumental considerations that the Disney company had to face in in building this property in the middle of central Florida and gaining that support. Yeah, you know, I haven't come across this book myself, uh, but... Uh, yeah, it sounds really fascinating. I need to add this to my uh, to my to read list. But this is not an official Disney publication, is that correct? That is correct. There is some level of uh, Disney support in that the foreword was actually written by Lee Cockrell, who we know okay. was a a major player for the Disney theme park. So it's maybe not the most popular book. It's about nine years old now, but I feel like it's a fairly appropriate compliment to Walt and the promise of Progress City because it looks at the origins of Walt Disney World a bit more centered on the the project more generally as opposed to the Epcot aspect, but it's still very valuable in that sense. I'll have to add it to my list. Cool. Well what are some what are some other books that you really enjoy that touch on Epcot? Gosh, well you know uh Marty Sklar, of course played such an important role uh, in the early days of Epcot, and he's written a couple of books. Uh, there's Dream It, Do It, uh, My Half-Century Creating Disney's Magic Kingdoms, uh, and this isn't a book just about Epcot, um, and it's a little bit all over the place in terms of this organization, honestly, but uh, such a blast to read through. Um, there's so much insight here um, into the like the planning stages of Epcot. Uh, there's so much um, insight into to what the, I guess, what the corporate hopes were for the park, um, into what the negotiation processes were like for getting some of these corporate and quasi-governmental sponsorships on board. And so um, really a worthwhile read. And also Marty, as I said early, earlier, a lifelong, just tremendous writer. And so his prose is wonderful to spend time with. And I think this was his last book before he passed away. Is that right? Almost. So he has the the new book that is called, I think it's called Travels with, is it called Travels with Marty or Travels with Figment? Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, which is just being released this fall. But yes, that was otherwise, um, it was his last publication while he was uh, still living. So while he was a, living. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what impressed me about this book is, I mean, I remember walking into Barnes and Noble and seeing a giant display of this book, um, like front and center in the store. Uh, and I was like, wow, I mean, I, I didn't realize there would be that much interest in this book outside of the hardcore Disney fandom. Um, but yeah, apparently there was and um, right, rightfully so. 
yeah, I I really value this book too. You're right about the the organization being a bit all over the place, and because there's no index, it's kind of hard if you're wanting to read about a specific uh, property or attraction or whatever. You kind of have to dig around, but it's fun, and there's some good pictures in there too. So it's a it's a fun Disney produced read that touches on, for instance, uh, the the notion of getting corporate sponsors for Epcot. Another book that I really turn to in terms of learning about Walt Disney World history, and there's a sizable, roughly 40-page chapter on the history of Epcot. It's from 1996 by Jeff Curdy, um, who's a friend of mine, and he's a great Disney author, and he wrote Since the World Began. So this was Disney produced around the time of Walt Disney World's 25th anniversary. But gosh, there's some beautiful imagery and, and prose about the history of Epcot from Walt's original ideas to what the park ended up becoming. And Jeff dedicates attention to each and every pavilion. So whether you had never visited the park before or had been there, it's almost like a little travel log of, of what it's like to be at Epcot, but with that historical insight. Gosh, I love this book so much. I have such a vivid memory of walking into a Walden Books as a child and finding this. Uh, and just like sitting down in the store and flipping through it for the longest time. Uh, it was this, and also uh, there was a book called Disney, The First 100 Years, I think by Dave Smith, yes. uh, which has a little bit of Epcot content as, in it as well. And then also um, DK put out something like Disney, The Ultimate Visual Guide. And yep. I, I can distinctly remember finding each of those books at different points in time in Walden Books and having that same experience of sitting down, flipping through it as much as I could, and then ultimately yeah, asking my parents, like, can I get this book? Uh, <laughs> and and getting it and taking it home. And I've read through it, I don't know how many times over the years. But um, yeah, just again, wonderfully written, so much beautiful art, um, just really easy to kind of fall in love with the parks all over again, um, reading through these kinds of books. And there's a foreword by Roy E. Disney, uh, which is great as well. So um, this is another one I think that's uh, out of print, I'm assuming, but readily available on eBay. Absolutely, it is. And the, the other books you mentioned, like the one by Dave Smith, the 100 Years, like produced around you know the time of Walt Disney's 100th. And that uh, I think there were two editions and, and one was around the 100th um, anniversary of his birth. And those are great staples. And there's some uh, beautiful imagery on Epcot in there, too. Obviously, it's not a centerpiece because it's the whole century of Disney history, but uh, it's a, a great one as well. But I had a laugh. I I, I could relate to what you were saying. For me, it was Barnes & Noble, not Walden Books. But mm -hmm. I, I remember seeing a, a lot of those books, especially um, when I was like later grade school years and finding these Disney-related books and just sitting down and wanting to read through every page. Yeah. And Jeff Curdy, I mean, he's put out so many great Disney books over the years. Uh, and I always think of like that name on the cover is a real uh, signifier of quality. Absolutely, yes. And and there are some great fan-produced books, too. We, we've touched on some of them. Um, another one that I just want to point out, and mind you, some of the content may be a bit outdated now in light of some of the changes to the park, but there's the Epcot Explorers Encyclopedia by R.E. Peterson, and that has some fun facts about the park, also organized in a format to illustrate each pavilion or attraction. But I think that one is worth checking out especially because um recall there was a really good 
thorough description of each part of Horizons. So if you want like a play-by-play of Horizons, you can check out that book. Yeah, this is one I don't have in my personal library, but I really probably should because I it is one that um, really does seem to have been embraced by the fans. Um, I see it come up a lot on blogs and that sort of thing. Uh, and so uh, that, I guess, is itself a testament to to the quality of the book. Yeah. Are there other like fan-produced books that you can think of, Aaron, that you think, or non-Disney produced, I should say, that, that you'd like to highlight? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, well, I know you had mentioned there's a Reality Land, uh, which I, was Disney involved in that? I don't think so, right? No, no, that's a yeah. David Koenig book. Yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe you can talk. I, I have not read that, um, though I do know David Koenig a little bit, and I know he puts out great work otherwise, but I'm not as familiar with Reality Land, so maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I'll just briefly mention that if you enjoyed some of his work from the 90s with talking about like cast member stories, you'll get a bit of that same flair with Reality Land, which is centered on Walt Disney World. And there's a, a fun chapter. I love the title of it. It's called Ept Pot. So not Epcot, but Eptpot. <laughs> and uh, that, that you know, general canic cl- cleverness is very much uh, omnipresent. And I just had a ball reading through it at the time. It's been a while since I've checked it out, so I can't remember precise stories. But I think from, from the viewpoint of wanting to understand how different individuals have engaged in the park over the years, whether it's working there or just fun stories or developing things, I think that's a, a nice window into into that world that's great so that's going on my list also so i got three in my list now uh so i'm just building your christmas list Aaron, yes. as far as things for you to purchase and no joke my christmas list is usually like 90 percent books uh not even just disney but just in general so that will legit be my christmas my christmas list uh i thought i would mention i mean this is an official disney publication um but it's a book called Marking the Millennium, uh, the Celebration of a Lifetime at the Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, And even though Epcot is not in the title, it's almost entirely about Epcot. Um, And this is all about the Millennium Celebration, so Tapestry of Nations and uh, the new Illuminations that premiered at that time. And uh, it's it's primarily a commercial publication, right? Like, again, it was intended as a souvenir book. It was sold in the parks. Uh, long since out of print, uh, but I mean, I think I got this on eBay for maybe 99 cents, like very inexpensive. And what's neat about it is, um, even though it is primarily commercial in nature, it is this uh, little time capsule in probably no more than 50 or 60 pages of a celebration that came and went fairly quickly, but one that was quite momentous in its time. I mean, if you remember the Super Bowl that year, the halftime show was like basically tapestry of nations and they performed the theme for illuminations uh so it was this it was the millennium celebration from epcot was the super bowl halftime show uh incredible um so it is neat to know i think that there is this little book um that goes into a fair amount of detail about that celebration what it consisted of and even uh behind the scenes what the uh imagineering was like for creating it and what their sort of vision was well i'm I'm glad you highlighted that it's a book i haven't checked out but i'm familiar um with uh, the what it represents as a whole and i think back to the millennium celebration and the ramifications of that in terms of how 
it basically pervaded through all elements of the company. Like, do you remember, like, ABC News, their official news theme was from Illuminations. Like, that's how impactful it was and how much Disney really wanted to capitalize on what this celebration represented. I I did not know that and have no memory of that. The Illuminations theme played with ABC News? Yes. So wow. Go on YouTube. Check out ABC News like 2000. Um, it, so it was not only just around New Year's, but they actually utilized it for a while thereafter. It got a lot of mileage, and it's really cool. That is really cool. Can I take us on just the the little uh, just a little That's, bit of a tangent uh, here <laughs> related to this discussion? So we just had the D23 Expo, right? And Christina Aguilera was one of the inductees. And there was a lot of uh, questioning about her credentials as a Disney legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they really tried to include all that they possibly could in the highlight reel for her before bringing her out on stage. But I, unless I just missed it, I don't think they mentioned, and I did not even remember this until today, that she was a part of that Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, and yeah, sang, she, she sang the song Celebrate the Future Hand in Hand, which is an Epcot song. Uh, so, like, that's a pretty important little piece of Disney history, I think. Yes, yes. We we can have an offline discussion of Christina Aguilera's merits as a Disney legend, but that's yeah. for another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's no, that's a really valid point, and yeah, it's it's nice that a celebration, like you typically wouldn't think a celebration would be captured in the form of a book, but that one obtained that opportunity, so that's kind of sweet. So I'm glad you highlighted it. Yeah couple quick books that I want to mention um, as we conclude our review of great Epcot-related books or books that touch on Epcot. Really, anybody who values Walt Disney Imagineering needs to get a copy, whether it's the original version from the 90s or the 2010 updated version of Walt Disney Imagineering. It's basically... It's a, it's a coffee table book. It's huge. And it's called Walt Disney Imagineering, a behind-the-dreams look at making the magic real it has some fantastic rich imagery of anything under the Disney theme park umbrella. But of course there's Epcot content and some great concept art. And I just, I think any Disney fan needs to own this book. Yeah, I would agree. I have the, the original nineties version. Um, and even just opening to the table of contents, there's this beautiful pencil sketch of Dreamfinder holding figment and the two of them are laughing. So it really just uh, hits you in the Epcot feels from page one. Uh, and obviously, as you said, there's a lot more than just Epcot in this book, but, um, there's a, just a lot of wonderful content for all of the parks. Yeah, agreed. And it also showcased some of the future of Epcot because it was published before Test Track opened, but yet there's some Test Track Mm -hmm. concept art in there too, which is sweet. Also, the mid-90s was really fruitful on the Disney book front because, so that was uh, 96 and also published that year is, was Building a Dream, the Art of Disney Architecture by Beth Dunlap, or Beth Dunlop, excuse me. This was a book I had never owned. I had always checked it out in the library. It was a great hardcover book that I just loved peering through because I just loved architecture and art and all that stuff. And there's there's some pages in there that illustrates how Disney tried to capture authentic recreations of sorts of different cultural landmarks and how those would be translated to World Showcase. So that one's been out of print for a long time, and there was ultimately another edition. But that that one offers some interesting views of the architecture of Epcot. 
Which edition came first? Do you know? Because I, I know there's the one that has all the different park icons on the cover and even the animation studio building. And then there's another that's just the the studio building on the cover. I think the one with the different icons is the original. Yeah, okay. But yeah, and this is where it gets tricky as as people who appreciate Disney books. There often there are different versions of of these staples. So and there are nuances in of course in in what each of them contains. So mm-hmm. thanks for pointing that out too. So uh, one one last book I want to reference is Designing Disney's Theme Parks: The Architecture of Reassurance. This is from 1997 by um, Caroline Marling and wow, I I remember wanting this book so badly. It had been out for a few years when when I ultimately uh, got a copy as a gift, but it's incredible in terms of illustrating Disney architecture. So it's kind of in the vein of building a dream, but uh, I feel like it focuses a little bit more. Well, it definitely focuses exclusively on the theme parks, whereas the other one also brings into the the fold, like the Walt Disney Studios and other areas under the Disney umbrella. But it's a really good one for some beautiful concept art and ultimately fo- photography. And this was written by what, like a, a team of professors, right? But with yeah. Disney's blessing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I find that interesting. It's like that's a me a kind of an unusual partnership because I think some of the, the like key Imagineers were contributors to the book. I would have to revisit it, but what's clear though is that Disney was very much involved, and there's a lot of rich information that. I don't typically see in a Disney produced book, at least not as of late. I feel like there's a lot of great content coming out now, but there had been a a period like in the, like, especially in the 2000s first decade where there just wasn't a whole lot coming out. But the late nineties was, was a great time for uh, rich Disney books about the theme parks. Yeah. And just Disney media in general, Uh, you know, we got, we had so many, uh, CD releases, uh, book releases, as you say, uh, DVD releases. You know, they were just they were big on media. Media had a heavy presence even in the theme park gift shops at that time, and uh, we've really seen a drift away from that. I mean, not only at Disney, but just industry wide uh, in recent years, which is uh, unfortunate. I mean, even even at Downtown Disney turned Disney Springs. You know, the loss of the Virgin Megastore uh, just across the board. Uh, I think even if they wanted to bring out more of these great books uh it's like where in the parks would they sell them Uh, a lot of those spaces have disappeared Uh, so we have to savor uh that period of time uh and and thankfully it still lives on uh, in the form of ebay Uh, that's a very good point that those physical spaces are gone but i i as much as i say that i feel like that the late 90s was like the best period of disney produced books about the parks I feel like we're seeing a resurgence right now with Disney publishing worldwide. And the expo was a clear indication that there's some books by Imagineers and mm-hmm. and about different aspects of the company. I feel like the past several years have been especially fruitful. So while there may have been a, a drier period in the first decade of the 2000s to a certain degree, um, I I feel like we're in an, on an upward trend and things are getting a lot better in terms of a variety of content and a lot of rich material too.
Yeah, well, it's interesting to think about the role that Disney Plus could play in that as well. I mean, we are already seeing, uh, I'm not sure if it's a documentary or a series, but uh, the Ink and Paint project uh, that's going to be on uh, Disney Plus is yeah. uh, directly a spinoff of the Ink and Paint book uh, that Disney published. Uh, there's also this new project called, I think, One Day at Disney or something along those lines, yeah. which is being released as a uh, as both a book and a Disney Plus series at the same time. And so those kinds of um, collaborative uh, releases could maybe open up a new avenue in the future. Yeah, that's a really very important point because we're seeing those crossovers across different divisions of the company. And you know what? Maybe maybe leading up to Epcot's 40th, there could be something in store on the book front and maybe a documentary front. So, Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Well, we, we've already campaigned for the... <laughs> The complete musical history of Epcot. So why not just get a, another version of Richard Beard's book, but uh, the 40th anniversary edition or something? Oh my gosh, it can all be part of like this giant package. We can get the book, we can get the musical history of Epcot box set, we can get a new documentary series on Disney Plus. They can just go all out. It'll be wonderful. Take my money now, Disney. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, there's. Hey, we're, we'll be part of part of that fan base so aaron as we as we conclude and any final shout outs for books that you'd like to mention or, or things that you want to emphasize on the book front as far as for disney fans to check out gosh you know i mean i have a, a whole stack of souvenir books um books that are about you know, Disney generally that have maybe some worthwhile discussion of Epcot, but I think we've hit on, at least from my perspective, uh, the books that would kind of be like your foundational entries in building a library of books about Epcot. I don't know. Did you have any others that you wanted to add? Um, not necessarily. I think those souvenir guides are fun to look at over the years because they've come in so many different forms with how the parks have changed and uh, sometimes the photography they showcase. Uh, they put a spotlight on particular attractions but disney magazine if you if you remember disney magazine from mm -hmm. the 90s and early 2000s that was like my favorite thing to get in the mail and and there were some great articles on the history of epcot and when i remember when mission space opened so if you can find those on ebay those offer mind you it's a lot more succinct because they're magazine articles but there's some great writing and photography in there too yeah that's a great tip and even disney adventures <laughs> i remember there being some oh, entries yeah. on epcot and those uh back in the day and i mean even you know the park maps uh if, if to the extent that we can think of those as literature uh i i find those to be so revealing uh, if you can pull up you know 35 years worth of park maps uh, if you have them or you can find them on eBay and just to compare them uh, not only like the, the geographical layout of the park but like the, the wording the descriptions of the attractions uh, the advisories that accompany those from year to year and comparing those uh, is a is a very interesting exercise all its own yes uh, I guess then the final shout out absolutely and I don't know why I didn't mention it earlier so you have maps of the Disney parks from 2016 uh, yes so you have Vanessa Hunt, Kevin Neary, and Susan Neary. My gosh, there's some really cool Epcot maps in there, including the original. It's it's a stunning book. Yeah, see, and that's, that's like there are so many of these that maybe aren't about Epcot, but I mean, we could probably go on all day. Uh, just so many worthwhile publications have been put out over the years that that touch on the park. And yeah, that's a great example. 
So there you have it, listeners. A lot of books to purchase if you don't already own them. And I'm sure Aaron and I could go on and on because there's there's a lot out there. And a, a lot more is probably going to be coming over the years to come, as as you so nicely said, with the notion of projects like you know one day at disney maybe there will be an epcot employee uh, cast member or imagineers highlighted in there so who knows we shall see yeah all right so now we reach the point where i have some disney related questions for aaron so it's time for ask my questions and get some answers we have those three standard music related questions two standard book related questions and one random disney question you may or may not want to bring Epcot into this. It's totally up to you. It's whatever speaks to you. Okay. So, Aaron, are you ready? I'm ready, and I love the name of this segment, by the way. Oh, thank you. Well, first up, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Okay, the the real answer to this question only technically qualifies as a Disney soundtrack, but it's Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Uh, by far the soundtrack I listened to the most growing up. But, you know, we did we did not own a lot of individual film soundtracks in my family, but we had a lot of the Disney best of collections. And so that's really what I grew up with. In particular, there was a two cassette tape collection that had been released in the mid 1970s uh, and then re-released, I think, in the early 1980s. And that's the collection I had. Uh, but it was just a smorgasbord of songs from live action Disney, animated Disney, from the theme parks, a lot of deep cuts. So it had songs from So Dear to My Heart, songs from Peach Dragon. Uh, it had It's a Small World. It had the Main Street Electrical Parade. It had songs from Mary Poppins, uh, as well as you know the classics from like Cinderella, Pinocchio, and so on. Uh, and so I often credit that two set collection or two tape collection to my love for a Disney deep cut. Uh, I think it all goes back to that. Uh, yeah. That's, that's really cool. And Hey, you know what? It's not every day that a touchstone film soundtrack will enter the conversation too. So <laughs> props to sister act two. <laughs> <laughs> what, what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Hmm. Most recently stuck in my head, probably Spirit by Beyonce from the new Lion King movie. Uh, I've been thoroughly obsessed with that song. Uh, I will. Have you seen the new, the live action Lion King, Brett? I have. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know how you felt. I did not love the, I didn't think that was put to great use in the film, but the song as just a standalone a piece of art I think is wonderful. I've listened to it like a hundred times and it's been stuck in my head, but I will, I will tell you the other answer to this is the song that is perpetually stuck in my head. And I don't know why it's Casey jr. From Dumbo. <laughs> I, I, Dumbo. I mean, I love Dumbo. I wouldn't call it my favorite movie. This is not my favorite Disney song, but for some reason, like I have had friends comment before, like you sing that song a lot. I don't know why it's always in my head, but my whole life it has been Casey jr. I will refrain myself from humming it so as to not <laughs> perpetuate it. What what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Okay, I can answer this one easily. And I actually just recent listened to your most um, recent episode. And I'm going to give the same answer that your guest gave. Uh, but it comes from the heart. And that's Peach Dragon, um, which is my all-time favorite 
Disney movie. I know I'm like the one person in the world who feels that way. <laughs> but I know you guys were saying that even though you didn't care for the movie as much, that you had a, a lot of love for the soundtrack. And that's why I would say it's underrated. I can sort of recognize some of the weaknesses in the film, despite it being my favorite. And I think, unfortunately, because of those, you know, the movie's a little slow. Um, maybe, maybe for those reasons, the soundtrack is not as well known. But the songs are truly excellent and i think that there's still an opportunity for them to be recognized for the great compositions that they are uh, i was hoping that the remake would finally uh give them their due alas it turned out not to be a movie musical uh so now i'm putting all my hopes in a broadway adaptation of peach dragon someday um who knows it might happen uh, but I will say that a couple of the songs at least have had a second life as theme park anthems. Um, right. Brazzle Dazzle Day uh, turns up on like the resort TV loop. Uh, you hear it in the electrical um, water pageant. Uh, obviously, uh, Main Street Electrical Parade has a whole Peach Dragon sequence. And so uh, at least those songs can live on in that way. Yeah, yeah. And I want to say that It's Not Easy song also appears in instrumental form on the Walt Disney World Resort Hotel TV, I think. Yes, I believe that's right. So, yeah, at least they're finding different ways of utilizing the music, which is fun. Mm -hmm. On the book front, Aaron, what's the most recent Disney book that you've read? Okay, so this was not published by Disney, uh, but it's, uh, again, sort of tangential to Disney, I guess. But technically, I think it counts. Uh, it's a book called Ladies Who Punch, The Explosive Inside Story of The View. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> How is uh, it? Oh, my gosh. I tore through this book. It is so juicy. It is so compellingly written by a guy named uh, Ramin Satuta. And um, he got just really unfettered access uh, to almost all of the hosts or co-hosts of The View over the years, as well as the producers and a lot of the executives at ABC. And really, it it is a book about Disney to a surprising extent. Uh, there's so much discussion about sort of the corporate, um, the, you know, the inner turmoil on the corporate side of things, uh, not only at ABC, but at, um, you know, Disney's corporate offices. And so Michael Eisner comes up a lot. Bob Iger comes up a lot. Uh, Amy Sweeney, the ABC executives come up a lot. And so uh, I'm just so fascinated by the whole corporate side of Disney, uh, as well as the very juicy drama that has driven the view from day one and all of it is documented in just delicious detail in this book <laughs> so two things i have to recognize there one we now have whoopee rep referenced in two different answers <laughs> yes and two i think there needs to be a separate discussion of of this book and the view that the view is actually a guilty pleasure of mine but i realize it actually has a lot of importance in our society and yeah, the, the notion of the Disney influence is particularly fascinating because it falls under, you know, it's on ABC and, uh, you know, Barbara Walters was a fixture on there for so many years. So it's very fascinating. Yeah, Barbara Walters and Whoopi Goldberg, both official Disney legends. Um, they've done a lot of shows live from Disney. Uh, in fact, just about every week on The View, uh, Disney comes up in, in some way. Uh, so, I mean, I would I, like you... Brett, it's a guilty pleasure for me as well, but I think an added element of that is is uh, just being a Disney fan. Uh, and then, yeah, you you can't see it, but hanging above my head is a giant uh, Whoopi Goldberg um, like sign that used to dis used to be displayed in a Blockbuster video store in the 1990s. So I'm a huge fan, and that's definitely a part of it too. 
Okay, so we we might have to have another discussion too. That's just all about Calafia from Golden. Yes. Oh my gosh, there used to be this trending Tumblr hashtag that was something like Whoopi Goldberg is the queen of Disney's California adventure, and it's kind of true. Oh, yes. Rip Golden Dreams. Mm. If you could write a Disney book on any topic that you haven't already written about, <laughs> so I guess no more no, no more Hocus Pocus, uh, what, what, what would it be about? Oh my gosh, I forgot this was going to be a question. Okay, this is hard because like I've already, I've already written them. Um, I I would I will give you an answer you know like a Disney book I would love to write but probably never will because <laughs> I don't think there's an audience for them but I mean I would love to do an in-depth book on something like bed knobs and broomsticks um, or just you know, any of these live action Disney musicals that are so special to me and always have been but maybe are a little bit underrated underappreciated and I would love to write like a book length defense of these films uh, Peace Dragon is another one uh, maybe I don't know the happiest millionaire any of these um, that would be like a, a dream project I guess that would be that'd be neat because there's a lot of these almost I wouldn't say forgotten films but ones that seem to have lost their their place in disney because so many years have passed and they haven't gone as much airtime maybe you know that's where disney plus will be changing the picture because you know bed knobs and broomsticks will be on there among others so i hope so so your random disney question in honor of our conversation about epcot out of all of the celebrities who have been featured in an Epcot film or attraction or narrator even over the years. Who is your favorite and why? Ooh, wait, did, is this Epcot specifically or any Disney attraction? Ep- Epcot specifically. Okay. That I'll helps. A little bit, yeah. More narrow. Yeah. 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 That helps. Um, okay. I mean, I think I'm going to have to go with, I just hope I'm not rushing into an answer that I'll later regret. <laughs> when I remember someone else. Uh, but I think I have to go with Ellen DeGeneres, uh, who is not only a, a comedy great, but I think her particular comedic sensibilities are very much in line with Disney's own comedic sensibilities, right? Like very deadpan, very meta, um, almost corny, but like not quite, um, never, never cloying, um, yeah, so I, I just think she's such a great fit, and Ellen's energy adventure. I know you and I talked a little bit about this off air, but uh, such a such a such a wonderful little chapter in Disney history. Uh, I think such a such a satisfactory experience from beginning to end, and Ellen's like star power and charisma and comedy really drive it the entire time. Yes, I will never forget stupid Judy, stupid energy. <laughs> Among all the other classic lines from that attraction. Yeah. Oh, and just perfect delivery. Oh, I'm curious, who would be yours from Epcot? Oh, now the t- tables are turned. I, yeah. I love it. I, prob- I probably would go with Ellen, too. But I also have a fondness. I guess I can't say Patrick Warburton just because originally Soren was not in Epcot. Uh, it you know, first was mm-hmm. in California Adventure. So that's what with almost like with an asterisk. But I would probably say Ellen too, but an honorable mention to Martin Short because yep. he has been part of Making of Me and O Canada. Mm-hmm. And and I guess Bruce Braun now because we we love his music. He's like a celebrity. So, <laughs> yeah. so I like that. 
Yeah, there, yeah, Alan's a fantastic choice. Aaron, as we conclude, how can listeners get in touch with you on social media? How can they find the On Main Street podcast? And uh, how can they contact you if they have any questions? Yeah, sure. So on Main Street, the podcast you can find uh, through iTunes, the podcast app on your phone, whichever podcast service you use. It's it's listed pretty much everywhere. Uh, if you want to connect with me on social media, uh, on Twitter, it's at Aaron Wallace. On Instagram, it's at Aaron H. Wallace. Uh, or you can just uh, go to my website, AaronWallaceOnline.com. That's Aaron with two A's, and you'll find pretty much everything I do right there. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks for a great chat about Epcot books. I, I know I want to head back to some of these staples on, on my bookshelf as a result of our discussion. And yeah, I think there's a lot that folks can check out, including your very own book on Epcot. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brett. This was great. So there you have it, listeners, a laundry list of books to check out that cover Epcot. There's really no shortage of interesting reads to examine, whether it be some of the books that we talked about, maybe some titles we perhaps didn't address. And I would say too, there's a lot of good journal articles and dissertations if you're an academic like me that cover Epcot, some great magazine articles. I hinted on some of those old pieces from Disney Magazine or even Disney official publications. Disney 23 Magazine has occasionally covered some fascinating Epcot content. So I would just encourage you just to be an explorer, much in the way Epcot encourages us to discover new things and come across some fascinating finds about the history and maybe even the future of the park. We are going to talk about what is in store. As you know, at D23 Expo this past August, Disney unveiled some of their plans. Who knows if all of it will ultimately come to fruition, but that's for Aaron and I to talk about on a future edition of Notably Disney. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.